0: Welcome to Own oh My Word, a podcast about Watford in the 1990s. I'm Matthew and I'm here with Michael. How are you doing, Michael?
1: Yeah, very good. Thanks, Matt. Looking forward to it as always.
0: Tonight we'll be talking about the 1995 to 1996 season. One that was full of a few good things and some pretty bad things. But the good things are really good. I'm looking forward to talking about them. And I think that this season really sets up the rest of the decade, which is, as I hope we all know, Full of full of positive news, really. So, let's get cracking, Michael. Where were we in August 1995? What was going on in the world?
1: Well, yeah, August 1995. So, so I think it's fair to say, culturally speaking, that this is now we're in like proper Britpop territory. Now, I know we touched on this in the the previous season, but I think by now, I think I'd had my Britpop awakening at this stage. Mm-hmm. Oasis. Uh, were very much the band for me. I liked Blur as well. I wasn't one of those either or fans, uh, but I'd gone to, I went, had gone to Glastonbury in 1995, in June, the summer, June 95, I went as a 16-year-old to the 25th anniversary Glastonbury. And I saw oasis headline uh on the friday night there on the main stage and uh and after that i was like yeah they're the best band in the world and, do you
0: remember know who um, else headlined that glass uh
1: it, it was pulp um but pulp replaced stuck because the stone roses were supposed to um yeah that's headline. what i thought yeah yeah and then one of them was it one of them had broken their arm and i don't know if it was john squire or someone else but someone had broken their arm and i can play And I cannot remember who the third headlining act was, actually. So I have to go back and check that. I actually cannot remember. I did see lots of other. I saw like Sleeper, Supergrass. Um, There was it was that kind of, you know, I saw the charlatans. It was um, it was very much. I was there for the indie and I and I lapped it up. Um, uh, And uh, yeah, it was good fun. It was very good fun. So, so yeah, so so that I suppose was culturally, that we're in that sort of the, the the indie zeitgeist there, and those bands become household names. We had the the battle of the bands with Blur and Oasis going for number one at the same time. When Country House pipped Roll with it, um, uh, we had and I suppose like politically speaking as well. There's change of foot with the Conservative majority in the polls rapidly shrinking as um, uh, Tony Blair's Labour have all the momentum in public support and election still a couple of years away, but you can see the, the tide starting to turn there. And for Watford, there was, there was a lot of optimism, I think maybe not a lot of optimism, but there was some optimism. Certainly after a seventh, some
0: optimism.
1: Yeah. After yeah. a seventh place finish last season, you know, we'd seen some, some prime roadable last season with <laughs> Watford, Knocking it about, we've seen the emergence of Craig Ramage as a, you know, his creative best in the middle for Watford, spraying passes, scoring goals. We discovered Kevin Phillips at the end of the season, who suddenly looked like every time he's going to shoot, was going to end up in the net. So there was hope that you know there was the the makings of a good team. Plus, we had that really solid defence last season. I mean, that was the, the the real plus point of the previous season was the fact that Watford found it they were very difficult to score against so going into the season yeah there was optimism I suppose counter that they still hadn't signed a, a a center forward and in fact there was very little transfer activity going into this season they signed Steve Cherry as backup keeper because Perry Digweed had, had left that's hardly that's hardly a sign in to set pulses racing is it um there wasn't, there wasn't really much other business because the club was still pretty skint, I suppose, you know, to temper that optimism. There wasn't money to spend on, on players. So you still had, you know, last season's flop, Jamie Morley was still there. You know, there was David Connolly, who we mentioned last time had sort of been coming through the youth team scoring goals. He was waiting in the wings for his opportunity, but wasn't expected to be starting games at the start of the season. And I suppose there wasn't, therefore... It was hard to tell where the season was going to go from there. If they could build on the you know the positive signs of the previous season, then yes, they would. You would hope to have another good sort of top half of the table finish. Uh, the other thing I should mention is the kit. So we'd had the the Hummel kit for the past two seasons. So there's a new kit made by Mizuno, the Japanese sportswear brand. I was very excited about this. Thought that was you know. Uh, for me, that felt like quite a big name. Um, uh, even though no one else had Mizuni kits, I thought, well, it's not Bukta, so that's something. <laughs> um very 90s, weren't they? These kits, very, very boxy fit, um, loose. <laughs> yeah.
0: Forgiving. I mean, there's really big <laughs> sleeves, you know, big they, were, sleeves, they were like yeah. big squares, weren't they? Even the short sleeve shirt was like a big big square on the arm,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I get another peculiar away kit uh of mm purple and green which I don't think anyone has has any other club ever worn purple and green I it's think that's quite a unique combination, combination. What, what,
0: are your, uh, what your what your what your thoughts about the purple and green
1: I didn't love it I didn't love it I, it was a bit too it was just a strange combination and I think I actually thought when I first saw it and I saw it you know uh, in the shop I thought well oh, it looks all right but when I actually saw them wearing it Mm. it just looked weird it didn't look like Watford at all, and I just thought well what for wearing a purple and green kit that just is no not for me I thought the home kit was all right it was kind of like a more jazzed up version of the one they'd had it really wasn't very really different was it no because it had the sort of weird bits on the sleeves again and it just felt like they'd taken that template and tried to make it more sort of in a mid middle of the decade style but apart from that it was it was pretty ordinary it's fine but yeah what's your views on the awake kit
0: i think i liked it at the time and then in the interim i think i've hated it and then i think yeah. i've come back to think it is all right again okay like i mean it's just I, I think i've just come to accept that it's just of its era
1: really yeah and it actually looking as we'll go through when we i looked back at the the highlights of this season they only seem to wear it about three times in the whole season because yeah, a reality, they don't have it? to wear their we- away kit very much, do they? Because no. not very much clashes. Wolves and Norwich
0: and a couple yeah. of others maybe, but that's about it.
1: That is about it. So, yeah, so I think that's where we were. Some calls for optimism based on what had happened before, tempered by, again, no investment in the playing side, um, which meant that there wasn't I don't know, a huge opportunity to sort of recycle players or, or or anything particularly new to get excited about. So so that's where we were going into the first day of the season, Matt.
0: Well, I really remember the first game of the season. It was a really, really, really sunny day. We played Sheffield United at home. I think looking back on it, it was a good win. But even at the time, it wasn't really a great performance. Dave Bassett was in charge of Sheffield United at the time. Uh, and, and they were certainly one of the favourites to go up. There were a few big teams in our division this year. And, and they were one of them that was going to be there or thereabouts. The two goals that we scored were both really good. Derek Payne scored an overhead kick, which is baffling, really, to think about. it. And Richard Johnson scored one of his trademark long-range goals. But this one sort of delicately caressed into the far corner, of the inside of his foot. Yeah, um, it was
1: a very cultured strike, wasn't it? It really was, wasn't
0: it? Like, I look back at the, the highlights this morning and... Um, He's clearly given a shout to Tyler because Tyler gets the ball and without looking, kind of squares it across to to Johnson, who runs onto it and just just passes it into the far corner. There is a bit of a a bit of a lack of creativity in that team, though. The team that starts the starts the season off, we had Tyler, Payne, and Johnson. I think they're primarily defensive midfielders. You know, they're ball winners. They're not the most creative players. Ramsey has been left out. Um he's on the front cover of that 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 first game of the season, the program of that first game of the season. Ramis is often running into 95, 96, but he's left out. We think that's probably because of fitness reasons. So yeah, kind of a fairly industrious midfielder. We we play on the break for the majority of the second half, but we do secure a two-one win. They did they they score, score but score. We managed to win the game two-one. Things are looking good, but they don't look good for a long after that match, we lose three games in a row. We lose against Huddersfield, Barnsley and Charlton. In the Charlton game, Steve Cherry's in goal. We, I think that's one of the games that we lose Kevin Miller to an injury in the warm-up, which happens a couple of times in the season. So Steve Cherry, the reserve keeper, does get his chance a few times. Uh, we draw we drew Neil 0 against Grimsby. And Paul Goldsmith on Twitter tells us that it was so cold, so depressing, and we were so unable to score. But then moving into moving further into September, we win 3-0 at home against Stoke. This is a game I remember. Uh, I was there. This was the game that my cousin scored with a aplomb in the Watford Observer shootout. It was a great win, full of great football. But what I really want to do, Michael, is I want to do an entire podcast on the commentator for this game. <laughs> uh, I, I could stop talking about everything else now and just do 90 minutes on him. I thought he was absolutely I- incredible
1: so bizarre it was it was like he was he was commentating on the the greatest game of football the world has ever seen I just so sort of over the top with his excitement of Watford scoring three goals against Stoke uh it was just like who was this guy where did he come from absolutely no
0: idea why was he he so
1: excited
0: he was doing he was doing a Jonathan Pierce uh, impression this was Around the time Jonathan Pierce was is uh, doing his kind of South American style commentary, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. Kind of bursting on the scene. But the the match was great. We win three 0 Ramage scores twice, Mooney scores. Good header from Ramage. And that's a great header! And a great goal! The one third of five from Michael Gift. And the goal scorer after being all
1: that crowd is three Ramage
0: Uh, Mooney crashes one in. There's Mooney. Mooney will try one!
1: Oh, that one magnificent from funny Mooney! The cutting side! Let one go with his right foot! Thank you very much!
0: And then Ramage does what he does best, which is diving to win a penalty.
1: Worst dive. It's, it's really so bad, bad, isn't it? It's yeah. really
0: bad. Uh, Phillips absolutely skies that penalty. <laughs> Commentators, you can't do that! <laughs> which I thought was absolutely, absolutely hilarious.
1: Come in, Phillips. Ron Sinclair. Oh, he's blasting it over!
0: You just can't do that! Um... But he uh, Rami's does score a really good free kick in that game. What a damage, Craig Ramage. Ramage will
1: try one. he didn't last too long that commentator did he I don't know no
0: no, that was his only appearance of the season he was benched quickly afterwards Um, the rest of the quarter of the season isn't brilliant Um, we draw against Palace we lose up at Ipswich we have a couple of Coca-Cola Cup games against Bournemouth the first one's fairly uneventful as indeed is the second one but we the game goes to extra time we score after 119 minutes which you know you're winning the game then, but there's a pitch invasion from Watford fans, which means that the game goes through a lot of ex- a lot of injury time, and they score four minutes into into extra time injury time, so it goes to a penalty shootout. Miller is the hero because he makes a bunch of good saves, uh, and Millen scores the winning penalty. Ian on Twitter reminds us that Kevin Phillips get hit by a police truncheon after the match because the uh, the stewards, or the police indeed, get them in mixed up with one of the fans, which isn't very good. Uh, around this time, we signed Steve Parler for 135 grand. He signed very much as a midfielder. We've got a lot of injuries in midfield, so that makes a lot of sense at the time. You know, our squad is lacks a lot of natural width. It has a, a decent number of centre midfielders or people who are at least capable of playing centre midfield, but they're all out injured, really. So he signs and we play... Tranmere, and we won. We win three two away. Injuries have given us very few options. Steve Palmer plays in midfield, uh, but we end the month in fifteenth. And then going into October, we lose against Millwall. We draw against Sunderland. We draw at home against Wolves. So we've got one win in nine matches. And after the match, Glenn is asked about the start to the season. He talks about a really disappointing first quarter of the season. We've drawn too many games. We've got a small squad. I think it's quite imbalanced. The injuries really haven't helped at all because even in the areas that we've got lots of players, like centre midfield, we've lost a lot of them to injury. Uh, a lot of the performances have been pretty subpar, pretty rubbish. So we're going into like the second quarter of the season And We're really not doing very well at all. We're already dragged down into very much lower mid-table.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's really not looking too great going into um, the sort of autumn, real like autumn winter period. So they do have a bit of light relief in the form of the next round of the League Cup. We have another night under the lights against the reigning league champions, this time in Blackburn Rovers with Alan Shearer and Mike Newell up front. Big crowd, 17,000. Uh, we played quite well in that game. I was at that game and we gave it a really good go. to the lead with Phillips and should have been two or three goals up, I think. Uh, uh, Tim Flowers made lots of really good saves. But eventually... Yeah, we,
0: we were definitely knocking on the door in that match.
1: weren't right, we? Yeah, eventually, you know, it's one of those ones where you you rue the missed chances because Shearer snatches one and then uh, Newell nicks it for them. And they, they win 2-1, probably quite undeserved that. But you're thinking... You know, is that going to be the start of? That's going to be. There's a lot of effort, enthusiasm shown by Watford, and a lot of you know actually quite decent football in that game. So, so that you know bodes well, but it doesn't bode well because the next six games pass in the league without a positive result. So there's a a defeat away at Portsmouth, a draw at at home to Southend, defeat at, at Leicester two more draws uh, with Port Vale and Luton and a defeat at home to Norwich. That is, that is not looking too pretty in the Luton game. Craig Ramage risks a penalty and it's a really, <laughs> they draw one all at home and it's a really slack penalty. He's, is there's no sort of real disguise on it. It's one that I think, I think last week, uh, one of our listeners was talking about Ramage's penalty technique and, you know, how he met, his attempted sort of side-footed dinks. The nonchalance. Uh, so the nonchalance, there, yeah. exactly and how bad it looks when he doesn't pull it off. Well, this is one of those examples where he just he just sort of swaggers up to the, the ball, and it looks so obvious where it's going to go. In his defence, the Luton keeper is about eight foot tall, which Ramish does say in his interview after the game, where he, he said he felt fairly confident. Then he looked up and, and saw the goalkeeper and said he's, he's ma- still He still looks
0: rattled, doesn't he, in that yeah. interview? He's, like, he's brushing his hand through his hair, and he's going, he looked about... He's about eight foot tall or something yeah. like that,
1: you know. He, like he, he says, says such in the crossbar. Yeah, right. he's, yeah, exactly. Uh he's trying to defend his, I think he's trying to defend his his fairly awful penalty. Because when you're down at the bottom and you're taking a penalty against your, your rivals at home, and it would have made it um one nil to Watford at that stage, I think. Um uh it's not great. They do thankfully rescue a point in that game, thanks to Kevin Phillips. But It's not looking good. Uh, uh, Gerard Laban gets sold to Millwall for half a million pounds. So another player gone. Um, uh, To the top team in the division. To the top team in the division. Yeah, Millwall were flying high and we played them next. And in typical Watford fashion, we beat them away. I mean, that, uh, that result came out of absolutely nowhere. It's the first win in 12 games. Notable point from this one is Paul Wilkinson had been signed on loan from Borough. So we had... The focal point in attack that lots of people have been saying, you know, we needed, particularly a lot of the fans have been crying out for. Millwall, as you said, Matt, they were top. Um, uh, and we were in 21st at the time. So it was a real unexpected result. Kevin Phillips did the damage. He scores a brace. And it's that sort of real, like, classic Kevin Phillips just sniffing out chances. To making the most of scraps um running onto
0: the wilkinson running onto
1: yeah yeah that you do start to see immediate impact from wilkinson where the team just have something else i suppose and and the defense have something else to to worry about in in terms of having a, a big unit there i suppose um uh which frees up a bit more space for phillips to be a bit more you know do what he does best um yeah. Some more, some more very nineties commentary in this one. Um, because one of the one of the goals is a bit of a, a goalkeeping, um, it's not so much a howler, but he does he does let the ball pass through his gloves fairly easily. And uh to which the goalkeeper the, the commentator remarks, he's it slipped through his fingers, touch of the Nick Leesons there, which I mean, I don't know if that was a sort of scripted, he must have had that like a touch of the mm. Nick Leesons. I mean. And the rogue trader who brought down Barings Bank, I mean, you can't get much more um, 90s than that, can you? And I, think, I, bet, I
0: believe Nick Leeson had a connection to Watford. I, I think, think he's, he's from was, Watford. He's from, I think Watford, he's
1: from yeah. Watford, yeah. He's not a Watford fan. He's actually a Man City fan. How oh, um, is he? Yeah, because I don't know why I know this, but he, I think he like, wrote some articles for the King of the Kipax fanzine and stuff like that. So, oh, right. okay. But he's, yeah, he's not a Watford fan, but he was from Watford. So, yeah, so another sort of, you know, infamous uh, local boy getting name checked in a, a very useful victory away at a very good side. Well, they are a very good side at the time. Anyway. They were a very good side at the time, yeah. Them lost away at Birmingham. Andy Hattentala got injured again, torn calf muscle. So, not one that he could rush back from. Uh, he's going to be out for a while. So, you know, first just constant injury. Troubles for Watford to key players like senior first team players. They do get a good win um, at home against Tranmere after the Birmingham game with Phillips uh, scoring twice and Colin Foster scoring as well. Steve Hodge played in this game. He'd signed on a free from QPR, a player of some pedigree, wasn't he, Steve Hodge? I mean, he'd been... Yeah, he was, yeah. Had a great career. Uh, Obviously not... He was past his best, but knew how to pass the ball, which is something that Watford's midfield was sorely lacking at this point with all those players injured and and players just woefully out of form as well. Ramage wasn't an automatic starter now because his performances just hadn't been up to it. He was not hitting the heights that he'd hit last season um, uh, and other players weren't really stepping up either. So, so Hodge was brought in and Hodge was quickly injured. So so, that, so that was, it was a very nice debut we got a great it was a win. weird one
0: wasn't it i mean I, I went to that i went to that game i remember sitting in the upper house which was unusual at the time because it always go in the rookery. and and odds was great i mean i remember him being really really good in that match yeah and yeah he we we'd signed him permanently it wasn't one of these weird mickey quinn loan deals no we signed him on a permanent contract on a free transfer but he played this game and then he plays in the I think off the bench in the next game against away Oldham, which we draw 0-0. but then he gets injured, and doesn't play again. Kind of, kind of a, a real curio.
1: Yes, I would like to not play again because presumably it wasn't a. what well, I don't know what the injury was. I don't know how bad it was, but um, but it. it it doesn't. You know, I don't. I've not read or heard that he was ruled out for the season. So it is a bit of a curious one.
0: Yeah, my, I, I, I don't remember it from the time as well. You know, like even at the time, like I thought that he'd signed on loan, mm. and it was only really looking back at the season more recently where, I, where, I, where I saw that he'd signed on, you know, signed as a permanent player. So yeah, he was he was in, and then he was out,
1: and he was gone. And so yeah, running through the rest of the fixtures during this period. We had a, an FA Cup tie at home to, to Wimbledon who were a Premier League team at the time. So the Holdsworth brothers facing off against each other. The only sort of... No, we drew one all so forced a replay. Mooney scored a really good goal and they did that weird celebration. The dying ants. Yeah, they just sort of all lie on their back and stick their legs in the air. It's... um, <laughs> Yeah. And then... It was Mick Harford who just sort of is very unimpressed, isn't he? He's just got no of, time for their he's bullshit. Got no he? Time. he just trundles through stamping on people. Yeah, not in the mood, not in the mood at all. Uh, what else happens during this period? Well, Kerry Dixon signs, probably one of the most controversial transfer signings of all mm. time. Am I, am I overstating it? I mean, I think for Watford, like, I, th- I, think I can't so. imagine yeah. many players have just. I think Watford fans are quite a forgiving bunch, aren't they? I mean, we've had other players from Luton. I remember us signing Matthew Spring, B.D. Boothwood signed, yeah. didn't he? And he'd scored a 30 yarder into the top corner when Luton had beat us in the League Cup a few years earlier. I don't think I don't think it's necessarily like a given that Watford fans would not welcome a player who'd previously played for Luton Town, but Kerry Dixon was that was you kind of terrible. had the sense
0: he was past his best, you know. It goes the other way as well. You know, Paul Furlong played for Luton towards the end of his career, and 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 they welcomed him and he Yeah, did okay for that short period of time. But Dixon was so associated with Luton's Halcyon period. Um, I, I it was always going to be an uphill struggle for him, wasn't it?
1: And there was just some, yeah, there was some fairly unpleasant. I think Dixon was involved in a bit of an altercation. I think he may have injured. One of the Watford players, I think it was Darren Baisley or someone who like, in a previous match, he'd, he'd actually gone in really hard on someone and injured them. And there was just a lot of ill feeling towards that Luton team and therefore him in particular. So it was very difficult to suddenly be like, oh, great. Now he's one of ours. It was a, it, it was one of those signings that sort of smacked of desperation for a bit, not because Dixon was useless i think he sometimes get well we'll talk about it i i think it's it's not fair to say like he had nothing to offer the team but they had been trying to sign paul wilkinson permanently following his loan and that roda just hadn't been able to do it i think wilkinson wanted a longer term contract than the club were prepared to offer so so you know he again that gets thrown at roda but to some extent that's also just what he was working with in terms of the restrictions here so so he had to strike Wilkinson off his list and move on to other targets Kerry Dixon was available for you know about thirty grand or something it was it was it was bugger all the fee they paid for him and that's who they got so so he comes into the team. Fairly quickly, uh, but the, the results are still awful. I mean, the team is decimated by injuries. Um, they, they lose, uh, they're losing games constantly. So they've missed out on Paul Wilkinson, signed Kerry Dixon. But speaking of Watford old boys, they also had signed Gary Penrice. So this one was another quite unusual signing. I mean, Rice was not uh, a striker as such at this stage. He was never an out-and-out centre forward anyway. Was he Rice? He was more of a no. you know a forward who. Would would play alongside someone which we already had lots of those. These days he wasn't he wasn't really one of those either. We'd sign him from from QPR. He's more of an attacking midfielder now. um So a, a strange one for Rhoda to then spend his money on because
0: for a decent spent, amount of money as yeah. well, three hundred grand. It's quite it's quite a lot for Watford back then.
1: That's a lot for Watford when you think. When you think of the fees that we've just been talking about for players, they spent sort of you know fifty grand here, eighty grand here, and they couldn't get some of the players that they'd wanted, and and to then spend three hundred k on on Gary Pemrose was he the player that Watford needed at that time? Mm. And quite injury prone as well. Injury by prone. As well. A very un- yeah. It's hard. It's hard to try to work that one out really in terms of where why the the that was the move that Rhoda made in the market at that time they had a lot of injuries so to be fair they did need probably some extra bodies in attacking midfield um and he goes into the team he scores away at barnsley but they lose that game defeats continue uh they lose at home to Cholton, a fairly shambolic game and then away at palace in february uh, on the 17th of feb in 1996 they lose 4-0 that sort of hiding i think had been had been coming the last yeah. it proves to be the last act of roda in his final act, he also signs Devon White, sort of fairly veteran target man of the lower leagues by this stage. We've been, you know, Watford have been up against Devon White a few times when he'd been playing for other clubs over the years. I remember seeing him play uh, for a couple of clubs against Watford. The typical big, strong target man who, mm. you know, very, very uh, dangerous in the air. Probably a bit more mobile than he's given credit for, but not exactly a player of great finesse. I think it's fair to say Devon White. No, I think
0: I think it's very much Rhodes Revenge, isn't it? It's like you've been asking for a big number nine. Well I'm on my way out and you can have one while I'm Rhoda's
1: Revenge. Yeah. <laughs> uh so that was uh, sadly it for Glenn. The club are in an absolute terrible state. Uh, you know the the results have been an absolute shambles up to this this point. They just cannot win matches. Uh, and Roderick sacked. Of course, what then follows uh, is the you know probably the most unexpected but welcomed managerial change. What the fans could have asked for is the return of Graham Taylor, Luther Blissett, and Kenny Jackett. Okay. So Taylor comes back as general manager, and it's interesting seeing the press conference mm. on this one because he's very specific about that, isn't he? He talks about he is yeah he's because they're asking, do you think you know is there a is there a risk in coming back to your old club where you've achieved so much? And he's like, Well, I'm not coming back as my old role. I'm in a different role. And I would only have come back. I could have waited until the summer to start being their general manager, but because it's Watford, I, I he gets act- a
0: bit snappy in that, doesn't he? he? Does, like, yeah. I could have waited until they're relegated.
1: Like- Basically, you could yeah. Been trying to read about this and find out exactly what he actually was supposed to be doing as general manager because it's a bit of a strange position, isn't it? But essentially, for this yeah. run-in of the season, it seemed like Luther Blissett and Kenny Jackett were the first-team coaches. Luther was sort of nominally, therefore, in charge of the first team, I think, in terms of the actual yeah, I think right. They have they've
0: brought, they've brought Kenny up from youth team duties. Yeah. I think Luther's, yeah, like nominally the first-team coach in the way that we would understand it now as a Watford.
1: Yeah, and he seems coach. to be doing the sort of, the sort of fronting up for he seems to be the one actually, then you know, during the match day on the touchline, calling the shots, yeah, you know, picking the team, etc. So, so it seems that Luth is actually the one, yeah, the focal point of there. But, but obviously, Taylor's yeah. presence was going to loom large over that. So, yeah, I so, kind of
0: get the impression that he's been given, like, yeah, it's probably Stuart Temple at the time who's chairman. I, I get the impression he's been given this general manager role it's probably on paper doesn't differ that much from a technical director or Mm. director of football, but like, he's basically saying, can you just sort this club out? Yeah. We're in a bad state.
1: Yeah. I think that's exactly right. It was a last throw of the dice because even at this stage, even with, you know, a miracle, it was going to take a hell of a lot, wasn't it? So they had, they had a huge task to try and turn around what had been an absolute disaster of a season to this point with, uh, yeah we've only we've been talking for a while now okay we're up to 24th of feb we think we've had like f- about five victories that we've talked about so far yeah. so I yeah, mean, we're bottom we're bottom and we've only i think in that time we've we've literally talked about about five wins taking us almost into march so
0: probably not that many more goals as well yeah but like in a, 46, in
1: a forty-six game season, that is. Um,
0: it's quite something, isn't it? Oh yeah, God, it's bad. But that game against Ipswich—I was there for that one, and I can remember Taylor walking out in the middle of Blissit and and Jacket, and them raising their arms up, and and it was a, a you know a watershed moment in many ways because lots of people were crying. This was. this in tears, this was, Matt. Were you in tears? I, I, I don't. I don't think I was. I, I might, might have been at the end of the season, but I wasn't at this point. Because Taylor, I, I I'd probably been to games where Taylor had been in charge. I. That's a guess, more than mm. an accurate reflection. So he meant to me. He was. He, do you remember when we were talking about Luther Blissett coming back? And Luther was a legend, rather than someone that we had a great accurate memory of playing yeah. for Watford. Graham Taylor sit, sat very much in, in in that seat in terms of Watford managers. Like you, you couldn't move for learning about Graham Taylor being in charge of Watford. He was he he was everything to a huge number of fans, uh, slightly older than me, and then all the way up the ages. It was an extraordinary thing for a lot of people at that match. I think, and I think, I think genuinely quite an emotional thing as well. You know, this was our greatest ever manager coming back. Admittedly, not as team manager, as general manager, but we were at our lowest ebb at the time, weren't we?
1: Yeah, we were. I, I felt the same. I think it was a big deal. It was a big. It was a bigger deal for me than than Luther because I guess I knew more about Graham Taylor, having grown up with him as England manager. Uh, I actually, yeah. yeah, his his previous era at Watford didn't mean that much to me personally because I wasn't at those games. So although I'd since learned more about it in terms of how amazing he was and how amazing their achievements were under him, I knew the sort of backstory. So, But but I knew I had more of a connection to him as a person, as a personality, because I'd seen him on TV a lot and yeah. sometimes and obviously in the press and not always in a very positive light. But, but I knew that he was... Still, like our guy, and yeah. I, so I was excited. I was excited about that because even he though was, he was
0: Mr. Watford, wasn't
1: it? He's Mr. Watford, and he did have a certain aura and presence because of that. Because he'd been England manager as well. I mean, he'd like he's someone who's like been on the biggest stage of of, sort of football in England at that time, and um so for him to then come back to Watford and to be involved in Watford, that was like a lot of there was a lot of attention, wasn't there? there was a lot of you know, and Elton John yeah. sort of reappeared as well at that time, and. So it suddenly felt like, even though the club was in a desperate situation, actually just having that created a bit of buzz again. And it felt like after all this sort of years of inertia and just decline, it was like, well, there's some guys that actually really, really give a shit about Watford, have achieved incredible things with Watford. I've heard all about those stories, Like, but now they're here again. And this is, you know, and I'm around for this. So let's see what they can do.
0: Yeah. I mean, he'd he'd been at Wolves. He'd resigned in November uh, after a, a pretty difficult spell there. And I can remember going to games during the season, but between November and and the February, where he he joined Watford, and I can remember people shouting out, you know, like, "Let's bring back Taylor, bring back Taylor," and the reaction against that was other people in the crowd going, "He's passed it. He's lost it. He's gone." You know, don't bring back those. Don't bring back people just because they're a part of your your successful period. It doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, they could do it again. So at the end of February, we've got him in charge and we have the opportunity to do something. We have a, a decent number of games left to go. We're obviously in free fall and it's going to take an awful lot to get us out of that. We're a long way back, but let's see what we can do. His first match, we're at home to Ipswich. And so this is a game where they, they, they all walk out. And it's one of those games, though. It's one of those games of two halves. We score two goals. We go 2-0 up. So the first goal from Devin White, second goal from Steve Palmer, scores a free kick, bounces out, and, and, and he puts that away. 2-0 at half-time. But our confidence is just so fragile at that time. Gus Ulenbeek is the flying right-back that Ipswich have at the time. And he's the, the absolute architect of every every everything they do that's good in that game and they come out in the second half and score three times. And so we lose match 3-2. It was seven points adrift at the bottom of the table. We lose against Stokes. We've lost every game in February. That's five games in a row. In the next match against Reading away, Kevin Phillips gets injured, and he ends up missing the rest of the season, which is absolutely terrible. We draw home against Derby, but that's 12 matches without a win. We've only won two points from the four games since this big managerial change. But at home against Oldham, it's our first win since mid-December against Tranmere. Ramey scores this really, really interesting kind of like stooping header. And then a really great, really great, smart solo goal where he's put through, kind of jinx past one player and curls it into the far post with his left foot. And a really kind of decent performance. But with six points... From safety with 13 games to go. Then we play West Brom away, which is kind of a really curious game. Like, you don't often draw 4-4, particularly when you go 3-0 down.
1: 3-0 down away from home.
0: Away from home, and we did. Uh, Ramis uh, scores a good goal from the edge of the box. Colin Foster scores twice in this match as well. Absolutely smashes it in. Uh, West Brom get a fourth to go, 4-2 up. Uh, Ramis scores this really nice sort of glancing header from across, and then Foster does basically exactly what he did before. They absolutely smashes one in from six yards, uh, and and we draw four four, which is really good. Uh, we follow that up with a couple more draws. Derby were the next team uh, that we played away. We played away at Derby. They were top, and we score early in the match, and then they score a really 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 late goal to deny us the win. There we're still five points adrift. And then we play West Brom at home and Ramsey scores a late goal to equalise the game. Uh, and then we come to Wolves away. This is a match I remember being at. And I remember it mostly for Dave Connolly being subbed on and then subbed off again. He's had a, a very disappointing, brief spell. But we lose 3 0. And I think all three of those goals are, are avoidable and preventable. A couple of them slip through Miller's grasp. Uh, but the kind of the, the initial impetus behind the change in managerial team. It's really not really amounted to much. No. We've, we've drawn a few games, but we haven't put together any run of wins. We're really quite far behind and it's not really looking very good as we move into April.
1: No, I think that's right. And I guess that just shows you that the, the problems that they had were pretty substantial and not just a, that some sort of ineptitude from Roder, who'd, who'd proved himself to be a pretty useful coach the previous two seasons. But the the, the mess they were in was... Was significant and and yes, they hadn't been able to, to to find any magic touches yet to to turn things around. So as you know, we got into to April, games running out. It was really now or never to to have a chance of staying up. They start that run of games at home to Sunderland. This was a very entertaining game. Sunderland were a good side that year. Sunderland were now top. It um, uh, seemed like there was Ita a read pre-
0: Sunderland, yeah.
1: Yeah, competitive this season, wasn't it? Because you just, you know, we had Derby up there, Sunderland Millwall earlier in the season. It mm. seemed like there were lots of teams slugging it out this uh this time. But yeah, Sunderland Sunderland won nine in a row, and they were they were soon 2-0 up. Tommy Mooney gets a brace in this game, and uh, uh one of them uh, uh, an overhead kick from a, a Kerry Dixon header uh, back across goal. Very, a very tidy finish from Mooney mm. and Ramage. Ramish managed to get a close range header in off the bar um, to get a point for Watford, but we're still six points adrift of Luton and nine points from safety with eight games to go. So that is not, it's, you know, all of these games, that was an impressive performance, but they needed wins. They lost at home to Portsmouth and drew the next game uh, away at South End. So by this point, seven points adrift, 12 from safety, seven games to play. I mean, that is, a, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Uh, when yeah. when you're on to the 13th of April this is when things start to get a bit more interesting it's almost that pressure off scenario where everyone had, everyone was pretty much well they're down i mean there's there's no yeah. way that they can come back from this um i think
0: everybody inside and outside the club will resign to what for being relegated yeah
1: yeah that you don't you don't when you're 12 points from safety on the 13th of April you don't stay up but as as we shall see over the next few weeks, it wasn't quite as straightforward as that so they played Port Vale at home on the 13th of April and it was a bit of a having having been so sort of spluttering in attack for so long this season it's suddenly like let's let's take the handbrake off and go for it David Connolly who you mentioned earlier is having quite an unimpressive display at Wolves he suddenly emerges in this game at home to Port Vale, started this game wearing the number four shirt, which is pretty unusual for a, a, a goal sniffing poacher type forward. But, but there we are. He scores a hat trick and Devin White scores a brace. So the striker suddenly finding goals easy to come by at the same time. Connolly scores some really tidy finishes, actually, and it converts a, a penalty as well to complete his hat trick. That was a particular... It was Paul Musselwhite again. Last season, Paul Musselwhite was flapping crosses into his own net. Threw one in, yeah. This, This time, he just... It's another absolute howler where he's... Sort of dawdling on the ball, and then Connolly charges into him and and tackles him, and they both fall over. Connolly gets up first, and Muscle White just pulls him down again, so he can't get away from him. And terrible, isn't it? It's yeah. just so bad, absolutely awful. I mean, there. And actually, even the,
0: the the Devon White header to make it five. I mean, oh, Muscle White's got to get that.
1: That's it? one of my favourite goals of the season. That one, just because it sort of this high cross coming in. There's Devon, there's Muscle White, and I think two defenders. <laughs> Devon White, just I think everyone ends up in the net pretty much. White <laughs> yeah, just,
0: I think you're right. Yeah,
1: Devon White just got... The ball goes into the net, and then about four four players go into the net with it because Devon White just cleans everyone out. That is, you know, vintage vintage Devon White. I think that we hadn't really seen. Let's be honest. It was
0: no, we hadn't. We hadn't. We hadn't. We'd sign him, and I'm not really sure what we expected from him. But no, um, this is. A, a, a run of games where he does put a few goals in, doesn't
1: he? Yeah, yeah, and so suddenly, I mean, I, I guess first and foremost, it gave everyone a bit of a lift. This game, just having, you know, having some goals to cheer and actually just playing with a bit of reckless abandon. Obviously, you can't play every game like that over the season; it's not going to work. But I think they really needed that this time, and um, yeah. and and certainly one of our one of our listeners enjoyed himself. Jason Rose told us that he'd. He'd been in hospital uh, up shortly before this game, and basically seems to have discharged himself to be able to get to Vicarage Road to watch this one. On painkillers and pinned to his seat by his girlfriend, uh, who was trying to keep him calm when the the goals were flying. <laughs> that's just of all the things that people <laughs> do uh, to 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 get to support their their football team. But I think yeah, I, I've just got this image of him like. In a in a sort of surgical gown, you know, with sort of sneaking out with a with an IV drip on wheels, just sort of like uh, trying to sneak out of the hospital and then sitting in his uh sitting in his chair at Watford. I've got this
0: idea of him going, I've got to get out, I've got to get out. Devin White's gonna score two goals. And they're yeah. like, Of course he will, Mr. <laughs> yeah, Rose, yeah. as they inject him with more serum.
1: Uh it was uh uh, but it's very, I'm very pleased with Jason because um, I believe he missed, was it Jason who said he missed the Bolton game? I think uh, I might have got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it was uh, uh, Jason who had told us he'd missed the 4-3. So he obviously wasn't going to miss this one and he didn't. So so an enjoyable moment for Jason there. We then followed it up with a 4-2 uh, spanking of Reading at home as well. Devon White gets another brace, so four goals in two games for him. Connolly on the score sheet again, and Ramage. So just the nine goals in two games for Watford, and they're off the bottom of the table, ahead of Luton. With uh, but we're still seven points from safety. So although that was it- a fun
0: game, I like I like that game. I like uh, I like Devon White trying an acrobatic kick, and it basically going off the the standing foot. And uh, 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 going into the far corner I, I, I thought that was a I thought that was a good game I enjoyed that one as well I, I was I was lucky enough to go to the Port Vale and the Reading game and the Grimsby game which we'll talk about as well but lots of I'm, high scoring games at Vicarage Road towards the end of the season and that was that was one of the best ones I think the team played really well in that match
1: yeah yeah I, I was just I was just having flashbacks to Devon White attempting acrobatics in other games <laughs> that didn't come off but um, but I w- we won't go into this. Be like having a flashback to Nam. But we won't go into that now. We've followed up. The, so the Reading game, yes, finally off the bottom uh, on the sixteenth of April, and our next trip is away to Kenilworth Road. Probably noticed. I've certainly noticed going back over these seasons. Results against Luton, not great. Actually, you know, to be frank, pretty shit. We haven't beaten mm-hmm. them felt like we were gonna beat them now. We've just suddenly started scoring, looting a bottom. We've got the confidence going into it, but it doesn't work out that way. It's a nil-nil draw. All our senior centre backs were out for this. So we had a 17-year-old Darren Ward playing alongside Steve Palmer at the back. It's not it's 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 really disappointing, I think, to um that that we drew a blank there. I mean obviously being, fielding such an inexperienced defence away at your rivals and keeping a clean sheet is something uh but it was no good to us and it was no good to Luton either both sides needed to to get three points from that to have a a chance uh so a draw was the worst possible outcome for both of them apart from a defeat and 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 pretty much did for both sides that he felt like there wasn't much coming back from that that said watford then decided there is still hope because they have groomsbury town at home on the 23rd of april and they go four 0 up in about five minutes. I mean, they were, uh, it was three goals in the first twenty minutes. I think they scored um, uh, in this game. It, I, I was, I was at this one. Um, you were at this mm. one as well. Uh, yeah, me
0: too. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah.
1: absolutely. I mean, again, it was a bit like the Port Vale game, wasn't it? That they just, they just went for it. It just, oh, it, it just well, looked
0: like every every attack they were going to
1: score. Yeah. I mean, Grimsby kind of made that possible with the way that they were set up as well. I think. Yeah. But, but what I mean, the, the bonus part of the season
0: is that we had the pressure was off us because no one thought we'd stay up, and the pressure was off a bunch of the other teams because they had nothing to play for. Yeah. So we were able to rack up some of these four, five, and six goals against them. But but we still had to do it. You know, we still had no, we to be should. there to do it. And yeah. and it—you know—it wasn't any easy task. It was—it it was still a task. To no, pick. and
1: it was good. But
0: it, this was uh, this was the. The, the night of the famous, uh, I'm calling it the famous, no one's ever called it this before, the famous Devon White through ball because uh, Craig Grammy, I remember Craig Grammy scoring in the first minute from a really, really great through ball from Devon White. That was it's really now good. It's
1: going to be called the famous Devon White through ball. Um, it's what he's going to be known for. Yeah, good. I think the creative side of Devon, Devon White, the link man. You Yeah. Know, <laughs> the... <laughs> Uh, I, I think that's, you know, a side of his game that is unappreciated and you've just called it out, Matt. So, um, so that's, so no let's, more. let's stick with it. Let's stick with it. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was great that, you know, Ramage was really firing at this stage of the season, wasn't he? He just looked like he had goals in him every time he stepped yep. on the pitch. He was playing much more as, a, as an actual striker at this stage, wasn't he? And, um, and, yeah. and really playing up front with, with Connolly, with White, at one point, you know, like Mooney was getting involved as well. Though Mooney's not, uh, he's not really playing as a centre forward at this time. He's still more of that sort of attacking midfielder who gets forward a lot. But you had Mooney, Ramage, White, Conley. Uh, Conley gets another hat trick. I think at one point, you know, they still had to have Dixon was still playing, getting getting minutes as well. And mm-hmm. I think, I think it's Jamie Morley still coming off the bench sometimes as well. So they're really yeah, he was yeah. Throwing yeah. everyone uh, 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 who can still kick a ball at this stage is, is kind of getting thrown on uh, to try and chip in, and the match ends six three. I mean, it was a it was an absolutely bonkers game, the kind of game you do get at the end of the season sometimes, um, but tremendous tremendous fun to be at. Two it's two hat tricks now. Because Ramage gets three and Conley gets three. When you watch it back, it looks like Ramage's third goal. Mooney is claiming it, but
0: yeah, it, Mooney goes for the back heel, doesn't it? he? Yeah, goes through his legs, but it's, it credited, related to it's credited
1: to Ramage. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those ones where the dubious goals committee might have had to struggle to decide whose goal that was. I think because it it does. Yeah, Mooney there's, definitely there's tries a funny to one. kick it.
0: There's a funny one which might be worth mentioning. or, or not um but the reading I think it's the reading game um the the highlights video shows the first two goals from Watford and then it shows a disallowed mooney goal and then it shows our third goal as if it's our fourth and they don't show the fourth goal which round no. scores which is a really good um counter-attacking move from memory anyway counter-attacking move some good play and, and ramage just finishes that off so i think i think the uh the good team at vision sport international probably probably mixed that
1: one up they mix um
0: but it would have been easy for anybody to mix up the uh, the last ramage goal, because it did look like uh mooney had back-heeled it in but i think uh, i think on the night it was given to ramage and indeed in the in the annals since uh recognizes two tricks.
1: Also worth mentioning, uh, listener Graham Cagle was late to this match and was told by a steward that he'd already missed a lot. We were actually already 4-0 up when Graham, Graham arrived. I mean, you don't you don't expect to arrive sort of 20 minutes late and have uh, missed Watford scoring four goals. That's um, uh, probably not happened to too many people over the years.
0: I would rather Graham Cagle stayed away for the first 20 minutes. Of yeah, I think we one.
1: might need that during the run-in, I think, that yeah. of this season. I think you're right. Um, we then had a, a very good away win at, at Norwich with David Connolly netting again and Gary Porter getting on the score sheet. He's not been um, with someone that we've mentioned barely at all this season, but uh, uh, pops up with a goal. So so the, the the run of results in, in April um after uh you know a disappointing start they've then uh won four of the last five uh which has just given them that you know tiny bit of hope going into the last game of the season matt matt rousson says he had a 50 to 1 bet 50 to 1 bet on us to win 2-1 and Connolly to score doesn't say how much he actually put on um uh so we don't know how no, much. no he
0: said that the steward put that on for him so yeah. it, uh... I'd like Rousen to, uh, to, to confirm the details of that. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, I mean, a very happy man uh, making his yeah, way home. Absolutely. Um, well done, Matt. If you've got any tips for the rest of the season, then uh, do <laughs> share. Uh, and then the final day of the season, so that sets us up for the grand finale. Uh, we actually somehow... We can
0: still stay up.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact that we've dragged this season to the final day, is. Something of a it's miracle improbable. in itself. It's, it's improbable, improbable because how are we not already relegated? Given the the results, we I think those four results that I just mentioned, those sort of four wins and five. Up till that point, we'd only won six games all season, so we're now up to ten victories for the season. But that is, you know, the fact that four of those have come in the last five games of the season. I mean, how they're not already relegated based on that 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 stat alone is incredible. But Yes, they have a chance. Uh, if they win their final game and results go their way, they would survive. It's not entirely in their hands, though, because um, they do need results to go their way because other teams are above them in the league. Leicester are the team that we have to face, so it's not an easy assignment. They're a good side. We're at home. There's a there's a full house at Vicarage Road, which is a, a rarity, so 20,000 in there. It's probably since they've built the rookery stand. That's the first time that we've seen Vicarage Road full so it is a big occasion a big crowd but they're up really up against it against a good side in Leicester um who come in good form looking to secure a playoff place Muzzy as it scores a good head header um uh and we don't really we just don't really get going it was on it was on tv this one I think it was on on Sky at least anyway that was their sort of televised game for the final Sunday of the division one season we don't we don't rise to the occasion we just are oh, we're a bit outclassed really Leicester are just a better team um, and it's a bit of a a bit. It's a massive anticlimax, isn't it? Really. I mean, you were there, Matt. A, a, a pretty bitter pill to swallow.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, there was there was a lot of hope going into that game that we were going to win, uh, you know, four two or six three or whatever. Um, and, and it just didn't really turn out that way at all. The its goal was a, was a fine header, but from a Devon White error, I suppose. You yeah. know, he's he's, he's clearing from a set piece and doesn't really get enough distance on his header. But, oh, you know, as ultimately, it was.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't have mattered, would it? Because,
0: it would have mattered anyway because other results didn't go our way. Even if we had won, we would have still been the point from safety.
1: Yeah. So relegation it was. After flirting with relegation for much of this decade, it was really only uh, a couple of seasons uh, that we've covered so far where we haven't had a relegation scare. This, this time they had a very severe relegation scare and they weren't able to to avert disaster. As They pulled off a few great escapes so far in the 90s. But they were back into the third tier, which is a pretty big slump from where they've been in the 80s. Back into the third tier. And as we've talked about, there hadn't been any real investment for a while. The stadium had been smartened up, but the playing side had been allowed to, to stagnate Let's talk about what we think you know that looked like, Matt, in terms of why how we got to to there this season and what what our reflections are on that and what I think what really I think the wrong.
0: problem this season was that the um we had such a well organized defense last season in ninety four ninety five. Kevin Miller marshalling the defense, Foster, Millen, Holdsworth at the centre of our defence. But that just kind of really fell away a little bit this year. I mean, Miller missed a couple of games, more than a couple of games, through yeah. injury. And several times that was through injuries in the warm-up, which was is, which is kind of strange and problematic. And a large injury crisis. And we've said this on a number of occasions in the last few seasons that we've had injury crises. But, you know, if you have a larger squad, you can cope with that. And what if they didn't have the money to build a larger squad, to have more than, you know, more more than four se- senior centre backs. So when we played Luton, Darren, seventeen year old Darren Ward came into play, just like Gary Fitzgerald did the year before. Steve Palmer spent a lot of the last end of the season playing in, uh, playing in playing at centre back. We signed him as a midfielder. You know, he would go on to establish himself as a a very versatile player. But that's not what we signed, and I think that. That strong defence that we'd assembled, kind of a year ago, year or two ago, had kind of it become a bit slow. It become a bit error prone, and it really wasn't doing everything that we knew that it could do, and we hoped it was still able to do. And that was a big disappointment, I think, for a lot of fans. And but it was clear right from right from the first game. I mean, we 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 beat Sheffield United, but. But after that, we we started losing. We started lo- started drawing, and it would be a long a long time before we put any sort of results go.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think the thing the defense the defense crumbled away from what this sort of impregnable force that had been there, you know, last season and record breaking run of clean sheets, suddenly yeah. just it just disintegrated through a combination of injuries and loss of form. What I really like noted looking at I mean, you mentioned Kevin Miller had a few like uh, injuries, but also when he was playing, he lets in some really crap goals. Like he does, just, he does. there's a lot where he just he's, looks really slow getting across, and there's lots of sort of really sort of slow looking shots that just catch him wrong footed, and you yeah. think like he's going to get there, he's going to get, oh, he's not got there, and it's crept crept into the corner. That the funny thing is, he's lot.
0: probably one of our better players across the season.
1: Yeah, I like, think
0: across the season as a whole, you know, he's one of our better players, but some notable errors.
1: Yeah, yeah, some notable errors. Well, just and just just not the the, the 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 presence that he had been the previous season, where you just felt like though he would just be able to, you'd be able to soak up a bit of pressure with him, and he would just like all the bread and butter stuff he was just so good at, and and you know, with him and. Foster and Millen in front of him. He just felt like there was such a unit there all of a sudden and that just didn't that, that wasn't there this season. There was I wonder in- why that
0: was. I mean, mm. like it can't just be because of age and confidence. It was kind of like, I I don't know what the reason was. No. I mean, they did I mean, have they all had Millen, injuries. Foster, Holdsworth. I mean, they were, they were they were good players. Yeah. But suddenly became they became bad players and I don't really know why.
1: No, they they were I mean, Foster started to look a bit of a liability at times, didn't he? Because he looked so sort of his strengths became weaknesses. And in last season, you know, the 94 95, he's even though he was quite slow, he looked like he had such a sort of calm presence and reading of the mm-hmm. game. And in this season, he, he looks awkward at times and gets caught out of position a bit and making mistakes, getting caught the wrong side kind of thing. And yeah, it's, 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 It's just sort of everything starts to go wrong at the same time. I think, Mm. I think, you know, I'd like to, I'd also like to reconsider my uh, positions on Craig Ramage, I think, from this season, because having waxed lyrical about him a bit last time and, you know, gone a bit overboard in uh, my praise for him, but, but, you know, to be fair, the 94, 95 season showed us what a talented player Craig Ramage was when he applied himself and when the team was sort of settled down. He was you know, a cut above a lot of the other midfielders who were applying their trade at this level in terms of just what he could do. But he was, he was not at it this season. I mean, fair enough, he finished with a decent goal tally, but a lot of that comes at the very end of the season. And by then, it's yeah. too late. And so yeah. it's kind of like, not to say it doesn't count, but it's like, kind of, if you contributed more earlier, they probably, you probably wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been in that situation. And there's, there's, you know the fact that he comes back unfit clearly has issues with the manager from there at that point on is you know in and out of the team is just not contributing a hell of a lot for a large large chunk of the season and then yeah he does he does get himself going at the end of the season and starts but he look, ends
0: up he ends up with a, this it's really weird the kind of strike record of 15 league goals in 35 yeah. league games it's amazing for a midfielder. But like you say, I mean, that is bolstered by hat-tricks and braces Yeah. towards the end of the season. You know, he probably gets half 10 of, of those goals yeah. before the end of the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He gets, you know, gets half of those goals before the end of the season. But there were a lot of rumours, you know, that he was, he was overweight. Mm. You know, he was, he he was unfit. He was bad at timekeeping and and he's fallen out with Roda, And... He he wouldn't be the first player to fall out with Roda. No. Um, is he a is he a Graham Taylor player? I don't know. I don't think he, I don't think he was, as we'll find out as we'll find out later on. Yeah, I, I, an interesting one because he's done so well the year before, yeah. and he's he's so capable of of grabbing the division, not just a match, but the division by the scruff of the neck. And you know, you can look at his stats and say he did that this year, but. He, he didn't
1: do that no. He didn't. Until. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't influence the same amount of games because it wasn't just his goal score in the previous year. It was his overall contribution in games and his ability to create, which is what this team so so lacked. I think was having a, a sort of creative spark and and with the midfield chopping and changing all the time with players in and yeah. out of the team. You know, Hess and Tyler had injuries as well, didn't he? And um, Gary. Paul yeah, and so I think didn't I think that as much. That,
0: I think that probably contributes strongly to Ramage's uh, decline, if we can call it that. Yeah. Because with without has Tyler, without Payne, or you know, without anyone to win the ball back, I mean, what is our what is our midfield gonna do? There was a period where Darren Kaski was on loan this season and he was he was not good. You know, we had two creative midfielders we had Ramage and Kaski, yeah. Uh, both, both in the team at the same time. But if no one can win the ball back for us, yeah, what are they going to do? Like Ramage yeah. and Kasky, or you know, throughout the season, Ramage, they're not going to do that. So it was, it was very, very difficult. And when we lose that base of the midfield, when we play with such a narrow midfield with a lack of natural width, we're really relying on someone to hustle the opposition to win the ball back. To pass it to more our more creative midfielders, to then play it through to our strikers, and th- th- there are several steps broken in that in in that chain. This season, we didn't have the defensive midfielders that were winning the ball back. Ramage was there, wasn't playing great, but then we didn't have the the, the attackers really to speak of that were that were doing very much to uh, to affect games.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I suppose the other thing we should mention before we sort of appraise Rhoda more thoroughly is the issue with center forwards was became a bit of a a stick to beat him with, but they they struggled there, didn't they? I think and you know, they chopped and changed, they brought all sorts tried all sorts of different solutions, but they never were able to find a player to be the focal point of the uh, attack in this, the way that they'd had in some previous seasons when you know when they'd had Paul Furlong or, yeah. or Paul Wilkinson not to say that that's the only way to play but they didn't he wasn't able to find a long-term solution he kept chopping and changing that that forward line and was never able to find like a settled like this is how we want to play um, in a way that was going to bring out the best of players with you know, obvious talent like Kevin Phillips.
0: Yeah, I think that's evidenced by the large number of strikers that played under Roda. Uh, I can listen for you and it'll be a very exciting thing. Alex Inglethorpe, Bruce Dyer, Craig Ramage, Darren Bailey, David Connolly, Dennis Bailey, Devon White, Gary Penrice, Jamie Morley, Ken Charlery, Kerry Dixon, Kevin Phillips, Lee Nogan, Mark Watson, the centre-back who played up front, Mickey Quinn, Nathan Lowndes, Neil Shipley, Nigel Jemson, Paul Furlong, Paul Wilkinson, Peter Beadle, and Tommy Mooney. Wow. That is twenty-two strikers that Glenn Roder tried.
1: Yeah,
0: whether they whether he signed them himself, around half of them he did, uh, or or they were at the club anyway. That is an extraordinary amount of strikers to mm. try over three seasons. From that, what well, can you can you pick a a, a great partnership or even a or even a great success story other than a Philip.
1: No, I mean I suppose he inherited Paul Furlong, didn't he? So um he that was yeah. you know he had that in his first season, but after Furlong's departure, no. I think it's it's very erratic and scattergun in terms of the attack, the attack that he wants to have and how he wants them to to play, I still think you know, I come back to Jamie Morley signing and the fact that that one didn't work out. I think he really wanted that one to work. Obviously, we mm. all wanted that one to work because that was quite a significant yeah, investment did, yeah. for Watford at the time, but didn't. And then they discovered Phillips and he looked like he did know how to score, but needed, I, th- I think, there was a lot to a play fluke, with him, though, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a fluke. It was a fluke, uh, you know. It was-
0: so, you could say that his one success was a fluke. No, I mean, I I don't think that
1: was his one success in terms of in the market, because I think he signed...
0: No, no, for strikers. I'm just talking about...
1: I mean, obviously, he signed Craig Grammage as well for, you know, next to nothing, which turned out to be as an attacking I mean, he
0: transformed the defence. I mean, as we said tonight, the the defence crumbled away, but I think his his ability in the market... I mean, Steve, he signed Steve Palmer this season, and he was a fantastic signing. Very good in central midfield, very good at central defence. I think... Glenn Roder's eye for signing was almost uniformly great, except for signing strikers.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and unfortunately, I think it, you know, really handicapped him over the the three seasons that he had. Um overall, I think he was a good coach, Roder. I yeah, think I do was, agree. Yeah. I think he was really up against it in terms of the financial restrictions at the club. Like that was there was really, really tight. And I think he didn't. When he did use money, he didn't make the most of it, and that's ultimately what I think. Why he had a a reputation of not being the, you know, the best in the market was because when he did spend money, and we're talking like relative speaking, but you know, four hundred grand for Morley, three hundred grand for Gary Pemrose, like you need those players to really contribute a lot because yeah. the fans will be thinking like, those are our big signings. And yeah, I certainly did. I thought, well, those, we've paid decent money for them, but he also was, he gets, he gets credit in the bank because he worked some miracles with very little amounts of money as well to restructure the team, you know, several times and bring in some really good quality experienced players for very little money who played a lot of games for the club and were, you know, really significant players for us at that time. I also think he played, like, he tried to get them to play football. Like, sometimes he it did. was sometimes it yeah. was awful, especially this season. It was just, it was pretty boring and ineffective. When it worked, it was really good to watch. And they moved the ball around very easy on the eye um, and actually yeah. played some really nice stuff. I and, just think,
0: I think there was a, there was... This team had no pace. No, it was a really, really slow team, and the way that we were going to score goals was going to be, you know, passing through or di- you know crosses from deep things like that. Um, there was a real lack of a lack of dribbly wide men
1: at yeah. the time,
0: particularly at our club. I mean, Rhoda picks this out in one of his uh, one of his program notes early in the season that you know. He says that he's trying to sign these players, but you know, over the course of the three seasons before, he hasn't really signed any of them already. So, I kind of, I kind of wonder if that's true or not. For whatever reason, the club has ended up with a real lack of width, and you know, is it, it can be at its best, it's intricate and results and goals. Now it's worse; it's ponderous.
1: Mm, I think that's right. So I think with, so I think with Roder, like you know, I. I have fond memories of him. I know it wasn't always pretty, um, and I know ultimately it, it didn't end well. But I I look back on him as someone who who did like genuinely care, who was learning his trade to some extent, but was trying to trying to coach the right way and get the most out of players. And you know, I think he had a really difficult set of circumstances, and I don't think the reason that we were relegated was all because of him. I think we were relegated as because we said at the start we didn't sign any players at the start of the season. Um we yeah. sold more players during the season and you know we kept selling players. There was very little money to go back into the squad. He had a t- terrible run of injuries. I think without all of those injuries, I think I think the season might have been different. But um but yeah what how do you remember him? What's what's your sort of your your take on Rhoda? wrote us time.
0: Yeah, I can't disagree with what he said really. I think um I think he was limited by injuries this season, particularly particularly the likes of Hessen Tyler, who he'd installed as a club captain, um, or at least a team captain. Um and he'd missed a lot of this season, really. I think as I've said already, you know, without someone biting at the heels of the opposition to win the ball back, for us to do something with it, I think we really struggled. Mm. Um I I question not so much his ability to sign a big number nine because, you know, that might have been what the fans were after, but, you know, I'm not really sure that was what Rodo was wanting to spend a large amount of money mm. on, uh, if available. But he just seemed to, seemed to consolidate our signings. He seemed to consolidate our signings into a particular type of player. And there was a... There was a real lack of natural width in that team, yeah. So there was only one way to beat teams, and that was to go through the middle uh, on the ground. And that might have been great. There might have been the West Ham way, but it uh, it wasn't the Watford way at the time, and that wasn't the way that that squad of players could play. Uh, and and whilst we were able to do it to a certain degree the previous season, this season we just we just really fell apart. You know, I think the injuries hard. really hurt us, and. The loss of form from significant players in our team really hurt us. And there's just no way back.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So the season drew to an end with with Luther in, in charge, but that's not that wasn't the long-term plan, was it?
0: No, there wasn't. That that wasn't the, the the ultimate goal. Um Taylor said that he was bored stiff by being a general manager, which I assume is akin to being a technical director or a director of football right now. I'm not really sure why he said that because he installed Kenny Jacket as as team manager for the for the following season after we'd been relegated. But um but he didn't really enjoy it at all um, and I don't know if Luther did as well but the three of them we had Taylor, we had Blissett, we had Jacket back. I don't really feel like there was a clear uh, to the public at least. Other than Taylor, I'm not really sure that there was a clear person that was that was definitely in charge of this team, both on the uh, in charge on the training field and in charge during matches as well. I felt like the three of them sort of sort of melded into one a little bit. Does that does that carry with you?
1: Yeah, I don't really I, I think the the Luth the Luther era and you know, then Jacket, it doesn't really for me it was just that it kind of was all about that Taylor was back. Um, and mm. even though I didn't, there was like you say, it was a slightly sort of opaque uh, a role and relationship that he had with the first team at that time. He was there at the club and that meant something. I think I think there was a lot of probably some people, I think people were splitting that. People thought, you know, now that we've got that out of our system, we've gone down, but we had this sort of dream team back that that meant everything was going to be fine. And others were more... Well, actually, we've just, you know, we've dropped down into the third tier and it's mm. a long way back from there. And we still don't really have any money. And, you know, we haven't got a great squad. So we've certainly not one that you know got, got a bit of a mess of a squad now because we have made a lot of sort of slightly panicked signings over the last few seasons. So it didn't feel to me like I personally was not feeling great about the future for Watford at that stage. I thought mm. this is, could be like really crap because this could be we, we may have <laughs> we may have really you know being a struggling first division team might have seemed like really good from where we were going now into the third tier and i thought you know it's bad enough that we were under the radar before going into the third tier i mean it's like this isn't this isn't what i signed up for um <laughs> so So it was, yeah, it didn't feel good and we were going in the wrong direction. Everything was all glitz and glamour and football and, you know, football's coming home and everything's looking all amazing and sparkly and we're just going further and further away from the light into darkness. Uh, And yeah, I wasn't feeling particularly great about it. I thought, you know, great that we've got these, these guys back, but... That that just having them alone, I thought the club's just in a mess. Right, I didn't feel like them alone could wave a wand and suddenly we'd be in European football again. That seemed a long way off.
0: It did, it did, and indeed the you know the late season emergence of of David Connolly, you never really got the impression that he was going to be a natural foil for Kevin Phillips as well. You know, no. we had two strikers basically capable of doing the same thing. We come back to this idea that, you know, where's the presence up front? You know, we've got lots of second strikers, auxiliary strikers, but, but you know, is Devin White going to do that? You know,
1: time will tell, I suppose. But Good good 90s hair on David Connolly, though.
0: Yeah, we had the curtains, didn't we? Did have the
1: curtains, so bonus points for those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, moving beyond Watford, we've been relegated, so we're going to have to swallow that and deal with it. Uh, Leicester beat us on the final day, as, we, as we've as said. They ended up winning the playoffs, and um, Sunderland and Derby get promoted, Leicester join them. Into the Premier League, they swap places with Man City, QPR and Bolton. Yes, teenage Watford fans, Man City were not always the team that you think they are. Uh, we went down with Luton and Mill, who had this... Just absolutely crazy collapse. You know they were top when we beat them in December with Phillips and Wilkinson scoring. We won two one away, and they absolutely collapsed after that, and ended up being relegated, which is which is really crazy. And and speaking of uh speaking of collapses, Michael, do you remember Newcastle being twelve points clear of Man United oh, in the Premier that League the
1: season? The the, the famous Keegan rant season.
0: It was indeed. Oh
1: yeah yeah that was that was that was painful I really wanted Newcastle to win I really wanted them to win the league um, I was really gutted that Man U reeled them in it was it was horrible and it, also horrible to see Kevin Keegan just basically losing his mind over it on, uh, on live television it's like watching Elevation.
0: a man in slow motion just collapse oh it? it was horrible yeah, it, was, it was really it was
1: really unpleasant um, but I empathised yeah. a lot with him because I I think he was a man who was before before we talked about being rattled, that was a man who was—he <laughs> was the embodiment rattled. of being the embodiment rattled, of it? rattling, and uh, yeah. um, and I can empathise a lot with that as a man who finds himself getting easily rattled. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd be i
0: to be very very careful. What i say in this podcast lest I <laughs> rattle you. But, um, I, but yeah, throw
1: yeah, my, yeah, I could yeah. throw my headphones off at any moment.
0: Well. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering wondering if any of these. Uh, any of these podcasts will finish in October, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah, yes, uh, United did overcome uh, Newcastle that season, they won the double, just lovely, I suppose. You know, all of our school friends being Man United oh. fans, blah, blah, horrible Bankers. yeah. Um, uh, but then you were in '96, got have you big memories of you in '96? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, I just, held in England. I think we had a we had a fun group, didn't we? We uh, we drew against Switzerland. Uh, Shearer scored probably for the first time in a while, and then some pretty famous victories there against uh, against Scotland, against and uh, against the Netherlands.
1: I was at the Germany semi-final, so uh, I do. Fun, yeah, we probably shouldn't. This will go on for hours if I then go on about mm. you know talk talk through that night in detail. But yes, needless to say, I have very, very vivid memories of Euro ninety six. I was at I was at the England Germany semi at Wembley. Um I also went to watch an Italy game at Anfield as well. The one the only one that they won, they beat Russia um two oh. one at Anfield and I went up to that as well. So yeah, I have like I just uh, insanely vivid memories of Euro ninety six. And yeah, I never
0: games. went to any of those games and I kind of I kind of uh I kind of regret it. You know, I remember I remember Euro '92 and the talk that the next European Championships were going to be in, uh, were going to be in England. Yeah, and and it was going to be, and uh, uh, we'll all be, we'll all be 15, we'll all be 16 by then. We'll be going to all the games, and sadly, I never did. But um, but yeah, I, my memory as a as a television fan is, and obviously, I've relived this over and over and over again. But said, we really missed out there, you know. We missed a good opportunity. Our home games were against were, were, were all at Wembley, you know, big crowds. Not all of those matches were like sellouts, uh, big Wembley crowds that we played at. Um, Shearer, probably one of the best, if not the best, striker in Europe at the time, uh, and Gaza having a real kind of flourish there as well. You know, yeah. obviously we had the the dentist chair type stuff before before the tournament itself but um kind of get the impression that they probably wouldn't have a chance like this for a few years to come and that's pretty much what happened
1: it was absolutely devastating and that game the game against Germany I think was typical England for me at the time and it very much sums up England in the 90s in the sort of like heroic failure uh of England Uh, obviously penalties, but also the miss, you know, the near misses and things as well. Like that is just, and Germany ending up winning. That's just what you just assumed happened at international tournaments um, growing up in this decade. So, yeah. So in that sense, it was very much uh, of the time, but I, yeah, it was, it was great fun. It was great fun and um, uh, lots of good memories from there.
0: The only other big things that come from this season is the, the Bosman memory, which actually has an, absolutely enormous effect and we're still having it to this day and that really allows for greater player freedom as their contracts expire players are now able to move much more freely from club to club after their contracts expire several of our players over the last couple of seasons their contracts expired and we're still able to sell them for 100 grand here 200 grand there absolutely not possible anymore Uh, and it also put an end to that three foreigner rule which had affected other nations within the United Kingdom as well. So uh English clubs, as we are an English club, were suddenly able to to field more players from the other United Kingdom nations. And this is a time of accelerating transfer fees. You know, we've had Chris Sutton and Stan Collymore being sold for sort of seven, eight, nine million pounds, but but it's really blown out the water by Alan Shearer signing for Newcastle for £15 million, which, uh which really blows away the previous transfer record and puts Newcastle, having had a very difficult end of the season, uh, back in place to challenge again. But I think that's as far as I can, I can think of about 1995, 1996. Michael, have we missed anything or do we need to move on as quickly as possible from our relegation I season?
1: I think we've covered a lot of ground there, haven't we? I think it's probably best to to leave that there now and and say goodbye to 1995, 96. Like you said at the start, I think it was, even though it was a season of failure, it was also the catalyst for what would then follow. So, so without it, if, if they had had another mid table season, for example, or even if they'd stayed up and, you know, not made the change, they wouldn't have been forced to make the changes. Who knows how the decade would have gone from there. So I think, it's, it's a pivotal season in terms of what follows and I think that's why we've, Absolutely we've is, covered yeah. a lot there because of that. Um, so, yes, not not a lot of positive memories to remember, but a really important season to cover in terms of the decade. Um, and I actually, you know, I quite enjoyed going back over a, a lot of that because there's a lot of players that I'd forgotten about or um, just just games that I'd forgotten about as well that season. Um so, yes. So thanks very much for listening to us. Uh, I hope you're still enjoying our, our rambles through each season and um, do keep sending us your sort contributions because they really uh, are appreciated and we enjoy hearing about your memories as well. And any anything that's just sort of pops into your head about, you know, whether it's particular moments, doesn't have to be about a particular season, but just anything particularly sort of 90s Watford related um uh do send us that as well particularly enjoyed the photo that uh I think he's I think it's Ian although I don't think he has his I'm just assuming it's Ian because his initial is I on his uh um Twitter handle but sent us a, a photo of him in his bedroom in his very 90s bedroom pointing at a teletext screen uh mm-hmm. with a. uh, uh a scantily clad Kathy Lloyd poster in the background and apparently had a cooler shaker uh poster just out of shot and he was wearing one of those sort of beaded indie necklaces as well as it was he's
0: wearing the 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 AC Milan kit as he's well. wearing the, the AC Watford Milan Ace away Milan. kit yeah the, Watford, the, the AC Watford AC
1: Milan kit yes yes to clarify yeah. yeah it was but it was like that was that was the essence of 90s sort of lad watch following Watford there so anything like that um
0: yeah i mean we try to be inclusive and i i, I hope that we are but um, if there if there's something that captures the essence of my word yeah it would be that With, yeah. without the uh, without the catholic right? no,
1: no, no. yes yes so do please keep sharing stuff we're going to um, obviously carry on going through the seasons to take us through to the end of the decade but we are going to do a few more sort of feature uh, episodes as well or look at a few other themes um if there's anything in particular you think is good for us to sort of dig into in a bit more detail then also please share your ideas with us as well because i'm happy to take Mm, please do suggestions um but otherwise yep as always you can get in touch with us and follow us at oh my word pod on twitter thank you very much for listening we're gonna take a break next week because it's the easter holidays um but we'll be back shortly after that um with another episode so thanks very much and goodbye Oh, Ah! Oh! My words!
0: Oh, no wonder the smiles are...